So this last week on Thursday, I went outside and saw my shadow, which means there's going to be six more weeks in this sermon series. Okay, not entirely true. There's actually nine more weeks in this sermon series, so it's a really big shadow. Um, but we've been going through, seriously, we've been going through the book of Romans and it, working through this story and hopefully being growing and challenged by Paul's letter to the Romans. Hearing about God's grace and his mercy to his people, and what his justice looks like, and how he makes all things right. In this letter, so Paul, an early follower of Jesus, has written a letter to this church in Rome, this early group of believers gathered together, Jews and Gentiles mixed together, hearing about the good news of Jesus. And Paul's written a letter probably for at least three reasons. One is because he's getting ready to go, hopefully on a mission trip further to the west, to Spain, and he wants to garner their support, to get some support from them. Two, he's writing to them to explain the good news of the gospel, to portray all these things. They've heard it, but he wants to be clear on certain things, and he wants them to hear it from him so that they know what he's saying and what they've heard are the same things. And he's also talking about this division, this probably tension that's going on in the church. And we'll get to this in some of these upcoming weeks. There's these groups in the church, the strong and the weak. And probably what we see, understand best, is the weak are Jewish Christians who are convinced that we need to continue following the laws of Moses, specifically some of those boundary marker laws like circumcision and Sabbath. And those were important. And so this group, the weak, are looking down on the other group because they're not following the laws. And on the other hand, you have Gentile Christians who don't see a need to follow that law, who recognize this freedom in Christ, and they then are looking down on the weak. And so you've got two groups of people who both think themselves better than the other group. And so Paul is painting a picture to try and help them understand that. And this, all this theology that been, we've been going through in the last 19 weeks, yes, 19 weeks we've been doing this, has, has kind of built up to this point. And so in chapters 1 through 8, he sets a picture of the universality of sin, this universal condition where everyone is under condemnation, everyone is under God's wrath, because we've all chosen our own path. We've all chosen not to reflect the glory of God, not to be the people he has called us to be, not to be his image bearers. But then Jesus was sent by God to justify us, to make us right, to bring forgiveness and to begin to transform and to change us. And this justification is a gift we receive by faith. And by faith, by allegiance, we're freed from sin, death, and the devil. So that's chapters 1 through 8. And then 9 through 11 sometimes feels like, for some people, just this kind of a detour, a little rabbit trail. This off, what is Paul going on? But it's, a, it's connected to it. And it's a big picture because what Paul is wondering about is the fate of Israel and God's faithfulness. So Paul is a Jew. And he's looking around because he's been preaching this good news of Jesus, the Messiah, to his fellow Jews and so many of them aren't listening. So many are turning away and not responding to this call. And so he's looking and he's wondering, is God faithful to his promises? Because God chose a people and they don't seem to be responding. And if God isn't faithful to those promises, how can we expect him to be faithful in the future? And he's also just got a burden in his heart. Because these are his brothers, his sisters, the people that he knows. And he's looking. He said, why aren't they hearing why aren't they responding to who Jesus is? 
So today we're finishing with chapter 11 of this section where Paul is addressing these concerns about who he is. And in 9 and 10, he's kind of painted and reminded them of the faithfulness of God. And granted, if you were listen, as you were listening, I know you were listening, as you were listening to Christine read, and it's a long section and there's a lot that goes on and a lot of challenging parts, a lot of confusing parts. Some things were like, well, what in the world does that mean? And some of those, to be upfront, we're not going to even try and explain today. But I found a quote as I was studying from Origen of Alexandria. Origen wrote a commentary, the first known commentary, or the first complete commentary we have on the book of Romans around 236, so just a couple hundred years after Jesus. And as he's writing on this section of Romans, this is what Origen says, what all Israel means or what the fullness of the Gentiles will be, only God knows, along with His only begotten Son and perhaps a few of His friends. In other words, Origen, this early believer, is like, I don't know what all this means. And so I think to me, if the Bishop of Alexandria, just a couple hundred years after Jesus, can say, I don't know what this means, it's probably okay for us to say, I don't know what all this means. And a part of it is because God doesn't necessarily expect us to understand every single thing. He expects us, He gives us enough wisdom to understand the key things. He doesn't always answer the questions we want answered. And the other thing is we recognize, why was Paul telling all of Why was Paul getting into this? And I think we can do that. We can make sense of this big picture, this big picture that's been going on since chapter 9 where Paul's reminded them of the grace, the gift that operates apart from the worth of the individual or nation. And that's one thing he's been building on, that God chose Abraham, and then he chose Isaac over Ishmael, and he chose Jacob over Esau. And it wasn't because one was better than the other, but God operates in a unique way, and he chooses particular people. He chose the nation of Israel, and when God chose the nation of Israel to be his chosen people, he didn't look and say, let's see, let's see, who's the most special nation? Oh, it's Israel. He simply chose Israel. And so God's choosing, God's grace isn't based on anyone's worth. It's a gift that comes to them. It's, not, it's by His own will, not because of anything inherent in them. And so Paul is driving home the point that God's grace is, we could say, unconditioned, unconditioned. In other words, it doesn't have anything to do with the worth of the recipient. God doesn't distribute His gifts and look and say, well, you deserve a gift. You deserve a gift. Well, you don't deserve a gift. God looks... And he's indiscriminate in this giving. This is God's grace. This song we sang, you know, that song, God, grace, grace, marvelous grace. This grace that God gives is this grace that he looks and he doesn't look and say, well, you're deserving of it. But he looks and God gives his grace to the undeserving, to the unworthy. And in the midst of that, he also demonstrates that God's promises haven't failed. And this is important to God because important to Paul because he's an Israelite. This isn't, like I said earlier, this is not an abstract thing, but it's important to him. But he also wants them to understand God keeps his promises. So let's bring us back to the start of chapter 11. He sets it up, and Paul says, I asked then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. He says, did God reject his people? No way. Heck no, no freaking way. That's, I mean, that's, that's kind of what Paul's saying. This is absolutely not. And Paul wants to say, God hasn't rejected his people. And he in one points to himself, he says, I'm an Israelite. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. 
obviously God hasn't rejected His people because I'm here. And not only that, he says there are others. And then he tells a, shares a little Bible history story, and he talks about Elijah, this prophet who had lived hundreds of years earlier, and how God had preserved a remnant, a portion where God didn't abandon all the people. There are others. And then he goes on, he says, this remnant was by grace. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. And so he's getting at this point, and he's saying, well, what about the rejection? And he says, well, there was some rejection, but in this stupor going on, but he goes on and he points out how Israel's rejection leads to something greater. Then down to verse 11. Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Well, not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will be their full inclusion bring? And so he's pointing out, he's saying, here's God. He's saying, the people of Israel, they've stumbled. They haven't fallen, they've stumbled. There's a trip. But in fact, their stumbling, their rejection has been used by God because it means riches for the Gentiles. And so God's pointing out this picture of how He works that even when, even though we look at Israel's rejection, it's like, oh, this is a horrible thing. God says, no, I can make it into something good. Because of their rejection, the gospel, this good news is spreading to the Gentiles, in other words, the non-Jews and the rest of the world. So God hasn't rejected His people. In fact, He's using His people. He's preserved a remnant, and their rejection, even that, God is turning to something good. And at this point, now remember how this would have worked. So we get a Bible, and we read our Bible, and we can turn on it as individuals in our own homes and, and read the book of Romans. Well, when the letter arrived to Rome... There was someone who read it to the congregation. The congregation, the people of Rome would have gathered, and probably in a couple different households, and the person carrying the letter or maybe somebody else would have read or performed the letter to them. So they would have sat and listened. So you can imagine a group of these Christians sitting there, and there's, there's some Jews, and there's some Gentiles, and they're all sitting mixed together, and they're listening to this. And Paul's talking about the Gentiles, and he's saying, oh, look, and the Gentiles... They've received God's mercy, and the Jews, they've rejected it and stuff. And so now I want you to picture some of the Gentiles sitting there. And they're thinking, oh, yeah, that's us. Israelites, they turned away. The Jews turned away, but us, God chose us. And so Paul turns to them in verse 11, or verse 13, sorry. He says, I'm talking to you Gentiles. This is great because you can imagine the, the letter reader reading to the congregation, and he sees the Gentiles. He knows which of the Gentiles, and the Gentiles are sitting there nodding their heads. And then the reader, maybe Phoebe, she gets to that point, and she says, I'm talking to you Gentiles. Insomuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry. And he says, for if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? And he goes on and he gives this analogy of an olive tree. And he says, imagine an olive tree. And there's the original olive tree. And some of the original branches are broken off. That's the picture of Israel rejecting. Some of those branches get broken off. And now you Gentiles, 
You're not part of that tree, but I graft you on. I bring you from outside and I attach you. But he reminds them, he says, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do consider this, you don't support the root, but the root supports you. In other words, you're grafted onto the tree, but the only reason you're still alive when you're grafted onto that tree is because of the root. And the root is Israel. And so don't be thinking so highly of yourself. Don't be thinking you're all about this thing. And it's a good reminder for all of us about any sense of superiority. For sometimes we begin to think, well, we're special. God has chosen us. We're the chosen people. And God's saying, don't get too concerned about yourself. Don't get thinking too highly of yourself because you're only here because I put you here. You're brought in because of what I've done. And then he goes on, he says, remember those branches of Israel that I broke off? Well, I can break you off too. So, again, don't be thinking too highly of yourself. And why were they broken off? By disbelief. And he says, you were included not because you were superior. He says, do not arrogant, but be, tremble. For God did not spare the natural branches, He will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness of God. Kindness to you provided you continue in His kindness. In other words, you're attached to the branch, you're attached to the root only because of your faith. Not because of anything you've done, not because you were better, but due to God's kindness, or we could say due to God's grace. And so he's going out. So he's this picture, this reminder of God's power and grace. So again, kind of back up as he's going through this long passage, he's reminding, he's saying, has God given up his promises? No, there's still a remnant. There's still a remnant. And not only that, God is using the remnant and God is using the rejection of Israel to draw Gentiles in. And the moment the Gentiles start to think, well, look how great we are. God says, no, you're only here because of the root. You're only here because of Israel. And you're only a part of the branch, not because of anything you've done, but because of faith, because of my grace to you. And he wants to go on, and he goes on, and he's painting this picture of what it is in this long, this section about the mystery, ignorant of this mystery in verse 25, so you may not be conceited. He says, Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so again, there's that section where Israel is rejected, but God is using that. And then that line, in this way, all Israel will be saved. And again, I don't know what that means exactly. And people go back and forth. All I can say is it's all means all, but whatever that means, whatever that looks like. But again, we're looking at how God is doing that thing. And what he's getting to is this, that they're only there because of God's grace. So in verse 32, he says, for God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. All are disobedient, and so mercy is the salvation for all. And so God, Paul again is pointing this contrast between the two. He's saying, it's the same path for everybody. For the Israelites and for the Gentiles, the same path is God's mercy, God's grace, and faith in Him. It's the exact same thing he said at the beginning of the letter. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel of God 
doesn't bring salvation to those who are really good. It doesn't bring salvation to particular children. It gives salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. There's an order. There was the roots, but it's to both. For in the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, by faith from first to last. So faith isn't something that kind of comes in at the end. He's saying faith is a part of it from beginning to end. Faith is what it is. It's based on that. Just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. So how are the branches grafted on? God's mercy. God's grace takes place in the context of the disobedient given to the unworthy. So this passage, I think, is it's more than about Israel's status. Sometimes we read it and we think, oh, I want to know, you know, what's going to happen to Israel? What's the place? It's a reminder of what God does, that God calls people out of sin and death that this is how He works, and that we might not understand how it'll all work out. I think that's the sense. We want to know, how's it all going to work out? And I think what Paul is reminding us is, we may not know how God will work it all out, but whatever it is, God will see to it that it happens. And now that may not satisfy some of us, because we like answers. We want to know. We want to go, but pastor, what does this mean? If you can't explain it, I'm going to find somebody who does. And I'm going to go with Origen and say, you know, God knows and His Son and maybe a few of His friends. But beyond that, I don't think anyone really knows. But most importantly, who knows what this all means? God does. And God's going to work it out how He wants. And what He's getting to is when we look at this passage as a whole as we see a couple things. And I think that's what's important. Because it's a long passage, and sometimes we think, why did we read 36 verses? Christine's probably asking, why did I read 36? That was a lot. There's a lot going on in this winding, meandering path and all these different things about Jews and Gentiles and disobedience and grace and faith and branches being broken off and all Gentiles and all... But I think we can see a couple of things in the midst of all that's going on. First of all, God has not rejected the people of Israel. That's what he starts off with. I asked then, did God reject his people? Paul's answer to that is, no. So, I ask us, has God rejected Israel? No. Now, what exactly that means and what all Israel being saved is, I don't know. But I can be confident in saying God has not rejected them. And so in the same way, we should not reject them. And also to clarify, when we talk Israel, we're not necessarily meaning the modern nation state of Israel. We're talking the people of God. So he's talking about this, and he's saying, God has not rejected his people. And so that ought to shape and mold our attitudes towards Jewish people. Not to look at them and say, oh, yeah, you turned away and God's rejected you. And Paul says, nope, it hasn't happened. Now, I don't understand exactly how it means and, and where this inclusion works in, but God has not rejected His people. And we also have to remind ourselves that we can't build our theology on a single passage. There's whole stories that go into it. So God has not rejected the people. The other thing we can remind ourselves is when it comes to accomplishing salvation, everything's in God's hands. Some things may not be clear, but there's one Thing clear in all this. God's mercy has been and will be 
for all. That's got to be absolutely clear. If we don't understand anything else in what Paul is saying in all of 9 through 11, what he's making clear is God's mercy has been and will be for all. It's available to all. And so I think we sometimes forget that. We think, well, it's just for select. It's for all. And so we want to make sure we have the right picture of God. God's not sitting idly by. God didn't create the world and draw back and say, oh, do whatever you want. But at the same time, we also don't want a picture of a God who's an angry God, who's just waiting at every moment to judge and punish, who's looking down and looking around. Who's next? Who's next for some smiting? That's a good biblical word, isn't it? <laughs> to be smite. That's not like God will judge. Paul's clear on that. But Paul's focus is elsewhere. His focus is what? Good news. This thing called the gospel. That in spite of our bondage to decay and disobedience, the God of creation wants us to have freedom, wholeness, and life. That's been what he's been talking about for 11 entire chapters. And when he gets to chapter 12, he's going to start portraying now some practical aspects of that. But he's been saying again and again and again and again that we have been caught in this cycle of disobedience. We've been caught in sin. We've been trapped. We've been slaves to sin. We've been subject to death and the power of Satan. And God wants us to have freedom. God wants us to be free. And so he sent his son, Jesus, and through his death and resurrection and ascension has set us free. This is what we call the mercy of God. And Paul's moving into it. And eventually, did you notice where the passage ended? The passage didn't end with Paul saying, ah, do you have any questions? Did that all make sense to you? Paul ends this big, long passage, this big, long, complicated thing with saying, praise God. Praise God for what He's done. And so I think He's inviting us to do the same thing. That when we reflect on God's goodness, when we reflect on God's faithfulness, when we reflect on God's mercy, that's where it's supposed to take us, to celebrate, to say, God is so good. God is incredible. God's grace, His mercy is so good. And to remember, that's the center of our faith. The center of our faith is God's grace, what one scholar calls the Christ gift. This moment where God has given us what? A gift. He's given us a gift in Jesus, and that gift is an unconditioned gift. It's an incongruous gift. It doesn't match our worth or our value, but is given to us in spite of all those things. And that gift given to us brings us life and hope and wholeness, that God is faithful in spite of our self-centered ways. That there is nothing you can do this week that can God, cause God to stop being faithful. Nothing. And a few weeks ago, we looked at his passage in Romans 8 where Paul said, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ. Their height, nor depth, nor powers, angels, principalities, things present, future, things to come. All those things, nothing can separate you from their love. And so he's reminding of this again and again and again, that God does not and will, won't give up on us. 
Because sometimes we see things from a human perspective and we know what it's like. We've had friends, we've had family, we've had people encourage us, and we think of them as they're for us, they're on our side. And then at some point, something happens and they're not for us anymore. They're not on our side anymore. And Paul wants to say, God's not like that at all. God is not like that at all. God doesn't give up on you. God hasn't given up and God won't give up on you. He wants to remind us of this promise of life found in King Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, that this is what God has given to us. This is how God operates in the world. When somebody asks you, well, what's God like? God is grace. God is mercy. God is a gift that he gives so that we can have life. Sometimes we try and think of this, but this is how God works in the world. It's not based on worth. We're not special. We're, God didn't choose us to save us because we're special. But God showered his goodness in spite of our worth. He chose us. And he says, here's this good news. And that good news is the power of salvation for all. And that's what he's getting at here. It's the power of salvation for all. Is it the power of salvation just for the Jews? No. Is it the power of the salvation just for Gentiles? No, it's the power of salvation for all who believe. For all who believe, God's power, His grace, this Christ gift brings life, salvation, wholeness, hope, peace to all. God is the one who delivers all, Jew and Gentile, from sin, death, and the devil. And that's what Paul wants us to get here, is to hear that good news again. And it's worth hearing again and again and again because of the way our world operates, because of our tendency to believe that we can only be loved if we do the right things, that we can only be valued if we have certain worth or certain thing, hold certain things up. And Paul wants us to remember the Christ gift, that God's grace doesn't work that way. And God is faithful. He continues his faithfulness to his people, even when some are rejected, that he grafts on us Gentiles, onto those branches. And we're there not because of our worth, but because of our faith. And we draw from that root, and that root is those promises of God made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. We're grafted onto that tree, and we remain there by faith and by God's kindness. And that at some point, in the future, God is going to continue to display this grace and this mercy. And whatever it looks like, he says, until the full number of Gentiles and all Israel saved. And I may not know what that means, but I know it means what I do know is God will continue to show his grace and his mercy. You can experience that today and you will experience that this week, God's grace and his mercy. And as we read this, as we remind ourselves of God's grace in God's mercy. It's an invitation for us to respond like Paul did. To say with him that for him and through him and for him are all things. And to him be the glory forever. We say that together. To him be the glory forever. Amen.